So here we are in chapter 6, and we've seen this slide many, many times. In chapter 6, we're going to extend these notions beyond the church setting, the, the gathering the people together. We're going to extend it to the workplace. We're going to extend it to the home. And so you see, the main thoughts across 1 Timothy, you've seen this slide before. Chapter 6 doesn't really introduce anything new other than reinforcing what's been there. Where it comes in new is it takes false teachers and expands that into false teachers that we're dealing with the notion of um, gain, cash, cash for preaching, and then false teachers and how you relate to those at your door, at your front door. What do you do when somebody comes and knocks on your front door delivering a gospel other than the true gospel? So then, these are the topics, and you can see the verses there. Paul goes through these things, and then he reinforces them below, and so we're going to take them topic by topic, not necessarily verse by verse. And all those come together to form what we've been calling godliness. And I said godliness bakes down to just one verse that's inside Colossians. Anybody remember what godliness boils down to? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you, Willie. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So then in verse 11, verse 11, he begins and he says, Oh, man of God. Now that word, oh, can mean different things. Now if... If Sean were still down in the parking lot and I wanted to get to him, I'd say, yo, or oh, Sean. I'd be trying to get his attention, okay? Now, on the other hand, before my mother passed, and I'd go to visit her, and she'd give me a big hug, and she'd say, oh, John. So, in verse 11, we're going to see, yo, Sean. But then towards the end of the chapter, we're going to see, oh, Timothy. You know Paul loved Timothy. He called him his dear son in the faith. And as he's coming and closing off the, the, the epistle, he's going to say, oh, Timothy. And we'll get to that, I hope. Flee all these things, false teachings, controversies, using God for financial gain, desire for riches. And on the other side, pursue or follow these other things. And now, once again, in bold, Godliness. So, what's the difference between pursue versus follow? Having somebody lead you. Okay, so I went to the Greek and tried to look that up, and basically it said the word that it came from means don't flee. <laughs> so that didn't help me any. Okay, and I'm looking at that and I'm saying, and I appreciate what you said, they're both involving movement, but follow suggesting you're following a leader. And so since Jesus is in heaven, who's our leader these days? That third person, I heard it over here, the Holy Spirit, yes. So we're going to follow the Holy Spirit until, how long are we going to follow him? Until when? Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Titus, and we'll get to that shortly, he talks about the blessed hope of the glorious appearing. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and only ruler, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's a familiar phrase, isn't it? King of kings, Lord of lords. Paul uses it one time. The only other times it's used in the New Testament is that John uses it twice in the book of Revelation. And other than that, it's used in Deuteronomy, Psalms, Daniel, and that's it. 
So three, four, five, six verses use that phrase, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. What, is there such a thing as a good fight? Your politician says, I'm going to fight for you. Is there such a thing as a good fight? I get a yes. That means there are things worth fighting for, right? So Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Does that sound familiar to anything, that, to anything else that Paul may have written? Second Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He's fought the good fight of the faith. Reminds me again of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. Versus the other phrase, don't do what I do, do what I say. Paul is saying, do what I do and do what I say. Attitudes about work. What we're going to see here, first of all, slavery has been around since the earliest times. It's in the more modern era where slavery has become outlawed. But when Paul was writing this, there, there was a time of slavery. But now, I'm not a slave, but I do have a supervisor, right? Every one of us has a supervisor. You say, well, I'm CEO and founder. Well, you have a supervisor too. So in the time that Paul was writing this thing, he was saying, look, when you're over there, maybe Philemon and Onesimus, you're master and slave, and we'll talk about that relationship. But when you're here, you're brothers, you're equals. And so he says in the first part of the chapter, he says, serve your master as unto serving the Lord. And then later in the chapter, he says, you who are rich, don't be arrogant. And then some other details that we'll get to. So attitudes towards work. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And we're going to come back to that verse again in the next slide. When Paul was writing this, there were, there were theaters. In fact, if you've studied literature, Greek theaters, five-part plays. And in these theaters, there would be a, a common scene where the master would say to the slave, I want you to go and do thus and slow, thus and so. And the master was turn, would turn his back and the slave would go. And he's, he's addressing that. Uh, modern parlance, let's say you've got a third shift job, you don't go behind some pallet somewhere and take a nap because the supervisor's not watching, just like in the play, tee hee hee, because the master's not watching. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Yes, I've got a supervisor, but who am I really serving? I'm serving Jesus Christ. The book of Ephesians says this, Bond service, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. The Bible also says that we should fear the Lord, right? With fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. We've talked about that word sincere. It comes from two Greek words, which means without wax. The idea being, if 
when they would do a, a statue and you took the chisel on the nose and all of a sudden the, the nose is gone, what they would do is they'd mix some mortar, patch the nose, and sell it. Mortar and wax. They didn't have epoxy or things like that. So if they advertised uh, something like a statue that they didn't have to fix, they would call it sincere. They would say, this statue is without wax. So what the, this word is saying is, with no phoniness. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we're still on the notion of the attitudes towards work and the verse on the bottom we borrowed from the prior slide. Colossians says this, if, the, if, you, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above. If you have, for, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So in the book of Colossians, in chapter 3, there are four positions. One, two, three, four. Person, partner, parent, professional. First one, let God be your God. Be a person. Stand on your own two feet. The book of Galatians says, stand firm in the liberty that you have in Christ Jesus. Then you move to partner, spouse. If I'm standing on my own two feet, and she's standing on her own two feet, we can move, right? But if I've got a, 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 an imbalance or I have to, to lean, but if the two of us aren't solid individuals, we can't have a solid partnership. And if we don't have a solid partnership, Amos said, how can we walk together unless we be agreed? If we don't have a solid partnership, how can we be solid parents? You know, one says, clean your room. The other one says, don't worry about that, Johnny. I'll take care of it. That doesn't go very far. Have to be agreed, like Amos says. And then ultimately, professional. You know, teachers and preachers like to have the, the same letter. Person, partner, parent, professional. So the word professional stands for this. Pleasing under God, respectful, and obedient. True or false? Money is the root of all evil. Thank you. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. True or false? Gain with contentment as much godliness. <laughs> godliness with contentment is great gain. Philippians, Paul writes, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am, whatever situation I'm in, I'm content. Now here's Acts chapter 16, verse 14. The Lord opened her heart. This is Lydia. What do we know about Lydia? She was a seller of, she was a seller of purple. She was well-to-do. She received Jesus Christ. Her household receives Jesus Christ. And she invites Paul and Silas into her home. 24 hours later, the Lord opened the door. What happened between verse 14 and verse 26? Lydia shows them. I'm sure they had a fine dinner. I'm sure she said, here's guest room one, guest room two, whatever it happens to be. They go out the next day and start preaching. And 
they get themselves in trouble. And what happens is they get beaten with rods. And the Bible says, with many blows. These guys had many blows. And then they get thrown in a dark prison, in a dungeon. What were they doing in the dungeon when the door was open? Uh, thank you. Praying and singing hymns. They were content in whatever situation they found themselves in. What do you know about Henry David Thoreau? <laughs> he, was, he wrote the book about Walden Pond. All right. And he said this, a man is rich in proportion to the number of things he can afford to let alone. As opposed to, I need the next gadget, I have to keep up with the Jones, whatever it is. Who is John D. Rockefeller? Richest man in his day. We're going to see where he, was, he would be the richest man today, too. He said, I believe it is every man's religious duty to get all he can honestly get and to give all he can. Now, there's a lot written about John Rockefeller. They say he may have been unscrupulous. They say, well, he was certainly a monopolist, and they had to, to beat it down with antitrust and break up the Standard Oil Company into the different brands that we know of today. But what you don't hear about Rockefeller is he was raised in a solid Christian Baptist home. At the peak of his career, he was worth $900 million. If you multiply that through inflation and everything else, he was worth $415 billion. At the end of his career, he gave away 97% of his stuff. And so there are universities. The one that comes to my mind is University of Chicago. If you've ever been to Williamsburg, uh, you know, the historic colonial, that was his money, okay? So he gave 97% of it away. The richest man today is Elon Musk, and he's only worth 200 billion. Rockefeller was twice that in today's dollars. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And that'll be the answer to a question that comes up, what are you gonna do with your money? I heard one person say, do your giving where you're living so you're knowing where it's going. How much money does it take to make a man happy? His response was, just one more dollar. 418 billion, what does it take to make him happy? Just one more dollar. Well, I guess he found happiness in a different way later in his career if he gave 97% of those dollars away. The accountants, they were auditing Rockefeller's estate, and the accountant number one says, I wonder how much he left behind. And the answer is not 12 billion. How much did he leave behind? All of it. That's exactly right. Psalm 49, loosely translated, says you can't take it with you, you can't take it to the grave. My dad had a hearse, but he didn't have a trailer hitch on the hearse. Attitudes about money. How much to start with and how much to end with? How much did you start with? None, okay? Just like Rockefeller, he started off as a clerk. 
Naked I came into the world, naked I shall return thither. The Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Mrs. Job says, why don't you just curse God and die? What's the proper attitude toward what you have? We had it on a slide a few weeks Give God the first fruits. How should I spend what I've got? Now, I've got to go back to my first pastor again. How do I spend what I've got? Earn your money honestly, spend your money wisely, and you'll always have enough, is what he would say. And then he would quote a missionary. And the missionary would say, if I could choose between your prayers or your money, I'll take your prayers. Because if you're honest in your prayers, I'll get some of your money. Commands towards those that are rich. Now, who in this room is rich? Thank you. Bernie and I would always argue who's the wealthiest man because we would know we're thinking about our salvation, our family. Everybody in this room is rich spiritually. Monetarily, everybody in this room is, is at least in the top five percentile of the entire world's population. You look at some of those per capita incomes in some third world countries, and you say to yourself, how can they do that? Well, they have no floor, they have no television, they have no phone, they have no internet. We're a blessed people. I've been blessed to grow up in this slice of geography and history. So, this command is for us. Command those that are rich, verse 17. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I took a peek on purpose on my way out of the house today. There are three loaves of bread sitting there ready to be consumed. So if I have three loaves of bread, and there's several people in the household, but there's more bread to be consumed today, what does that verse mean? Give us this day our daily bread. We pray it. What did Jesus say to Satan when he said, turn those stones into, into bread? That's exactly right. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're praying for God to give us an inspiration from his word. Now again, back to my first pastor. He would talk about, this is the story he's making up. He would talk about a man who had a white dog and a black dog. And he would feed the white dog, and he would groom the white dog, and he would care for the white dog. And then he'd ask the question, over time, if the two dogs had a fight, which one do you think would win? The white one, he had proper nutrition, proper Give us this day our daily bread. And I don't care how rich or how poor you are measured by the world. Give us this day our daily bread. Timothy says, command those that are rich. And keep in mind, as part of the introduction, I said, there was slavery at the time. There was a master, there was a slave, they came into the church or the house or, or the, the riverside or wherever they were worshiping, and they were equals. 
James talks about not having partiality to the one who's you know well groomed and goodly apparel and has the ring, and the other one comes in and he's all all shoddy and whatever. He says, no partiality. My wife's grandfather during depression would witness, and there was a man received Jesus. And he invited him to church. The grandfather invited him to church. He said, well, I can't come. He said, well, why not? He said, all I've got are these big overalls, and I don't even have any shoes. My wife's grandfather said, I'll wear my bibs and barefoot, too, and we'll go in together. Not to be haughty, nor to set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Now, the stock market's going crazy. It's up, it's down. What's going to happen to the stock market over the next 20 years? Mark is going like this. He's going like this. She's saying up and down. Jesus Christ might come back. And then we see what James says. We're going to go to James in a little bit here. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and really and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves in heaven. James says this, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. When I, keep in mind, I am looking forward to the rapture. I'm not looking to fill a hole in the ground. I want to fill a hole in the sky. And if I get raptured and somebody walks into this church and they can find my wallet, they can have whatever's inside of it, they're going to be sorely disappointed, but they can have whatever's inside of it James says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Jeremiah had a lot of object lessons. And one of the object lessons that they told that the Lord told him to do was to take a garment. So imagine, and I think it was linen. He said, "Take a garment and fa- fasten it around yourself, and then go." I can't remember where he was sent to go, but I do remember it was over a desert, and bury this thing. Now, if I was walking through a desert, I don't have to go to a desert. Just wait for June or July. I sweat a lot. And if I had something like that wrapped around me and I walked 90 miles, what do you think that garment would be like? Wet. And then when you bury it, what happens to that garment? It rots. So the Lord tells Jeremiah, go for a hike, bury the thing, go home, go back, and take out that garment. It might not be wet anymore, but it sure might smell. And what James is telling the rich is this. You can rack up all those things. John Rockefeller, 400 plus billion dollars in today. That's a lot of money. All that stuff is going to burn up. This building is going to burn up. Peter tells us the earth will be burned up with a fervent heat. Now, there's a lot of pollution that's around here, and I'm not going to talk about tree huggers or anything like that, but uranium that's buried, hell itself, all this stuff is going to be burned up 
And when the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth, that new earth is not going to need a hell in the center because the Bible says death and hell have rendered up their dead and they'll be put into the lake of fire. Not the new heaven and earth, lake of fire. And so what happens with my house, my car, my tractor, my truck? Gone. What remains? 1 Corinthians 3. What remains? Faith, hope, and love remain. That's right. The Bible says there's no, nothing else to build upon except the foundation which was laid by Christ Jesus. And then the things that we do, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, they'll be burned up in that day. But what about gold, silver, and precious stones? Jesus, in that uh, week between Palm Sunday and Easter, he went in and out of Jerusalem. You read Mark's gospel, it talks about he went to the city and he did this, and he went to Bethany, and he went to the city and did that, and he went to Bethany, and he said, and the Bible says at one point, uh, this is Mark's gospel, they were walking outside the temple, and the apostle said to him, look at these beautiful stones. And Jesus says, not one stone will be on top of another. Now, how did those stones come apart? This is about gold, silver, and precious stones. Forty years later, the Romans came. They pillaged the city. They burned the temple. All that gold that was in the temple starts melting down, goes in between the crevices of the rock, and the soldiers augmented their pay with the spoil of the battle. So they're taking crowbars or whatever they used, and they pry the stones apart to get the gold. And that's how the stones fell apart. Not one stone will rest upon the other. Even my pickup truck. We're still on attitudes toward work. Hard work versus slothfulness. Now, there are some wonderful verses in Proverbs. We're not going to cover all of them, just one. But Timothy, well, that's what we're studying, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We covered that verse uh, last week when we were in chapter 5. But now, we're talking about balance. We're going to have two different verses up there. We're just going to talk about balance. Too much, too little, in terms of the, the amount. We're also going to talk about too much versus too little, the level of effort. Proverbs 26, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Now, but do not weigh yourself out to get rich. Have wisdom to show restraint. Now, Lloyd Kreider, a younger Lloyd Kreider said to me, a candle burning at both ends burns twice as fast. Then a younger, smart Alec John Scrabback responded, yes, but it burns twice as bright. Well, I've paid for that comment because I'm burned out. Making ends meet. Keep your lives free from the love of many. When we get into 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is going to say, don't get entangled with the things of this world, 
but be ready to serve. I remember one of the pastors here used the example of a man during the Civil War would repair watches. So there he is on the campsite with a, a napkin or whatever in the watch, all different pieces, not like today's watch, a circuit board, a battery, and that's it, just springs and things like that. And then the command comes to get up and get going. What does he have to do? Pick up his napkin, take the parts, and go. He, he lost a lot of his work. So in 2 Timothy, and we'll get there, they're talking about a soldier not getting entangled in things like that, but be ready to move on. To keep your eyes free from the love of money. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. How much is enough? The second time we're going to Proverbs. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Now, there are some people in this world that have been blessed with a whole lot more cash than I have been blessed with. <clears throat> so we read here, it says, I don't want to be too rich or too poor, lest, I, lest I'm full and deny Jesus and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane and, and cheat. What is that? Ever hear, ever hear the phrase, going down the tubes? Okay, going down the tubes. Who's that? That's Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll, I heard him on the radio. He also has this in the blog. He says, many a ministry, and we can extend that and say, many a career has gone down the tubes because of silver, sloth, self, or sex. That's 1 Timothy 6, the whole chapter, right there in four words. So he talks about a moral erosion. Does anybody ever had some erosion either on your farm or in your backyard or whatever? Does it go from nothing to a monster ditch? Depends on the rain, but eventually it does, doesn't it? Okay. That's what moral erosion is like. It's not like day one, oh, how I love Jesus, and day two, day two you say, Jesus who? This also comes from Swindoll's blog. And he finishes that message by saying this. I shiver when I realize how quickly any one of us could get caught in a moral undertow and be swept into an ocean of tragic consequences. Let's take King Solomon as an example. Was his dad a good influence? We hope so. Was he a dummy? No, he was the wisest man that ever lived, save Jesus Christ. How could somebody that smart get tied up with a thousand women? How could somebody that smart at the end of his career be worshiping the false gods? There was a moral erosion. It wasn't day one that he said, oh, I think I'm going to worship to Astaroth or somebody like that. The Bible also told him, don't have a lot of horses. I can see one horse becomes two horses, becomes four horses. Next thing you know, he has a stable full. 
This message is also for the Christian. And we've seen this verse many a time. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What does that mean for the lost? The lost person could have all kinds of fame and fortune. In fact, he can have an infinite amount of fame. And, well, infinite's a tough word to, to describe. But if he dies lost, what good is it all? Now we're going to look at it from the prospect, from the perspective of God. When that says world, that word world means cosmos, the universe. So one soul is worth more than the universe. How much does God love me? How much does Jesus love me? I tell my kids, they said, this much. And then he died. What does that verse mean for the saved? What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Now, I will tell you that I am eternally saved. Romans 8, 1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But if I chase after the world, the health, not life versus death, the health of my soul becomes compromised. I do not become the Christian that I could have been. What does it matter if I gain the whole world yet forfeit that growth in my soul. The greedy bring ruin to their households. That means I not only forfeit the best my soul, the best my spiritual composition can be, that means I'm also damaging or hurting the spiritual well-being of my family. Paul's warning on false teachers. And this comes from Acts. And in Acts, he was writing to the church at Ephesus. Well, he, wasn't, he was talking about the church of Ephesus. Where was Timothy being sent? Ephesus. What does the book of Revelation say about the church at Ephesus? They've lost their first love. Paul says... I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things or draw away the, dis the disciples after them. Beware of false prophets, Jesus says. I'm going to speed up a little bit because the clock is winning. Paul's warning on false teachers. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out. They're going to come in and what they're going to first say it sounds pretty good and then just like erosion, it starts going in the wrong direction. Should we allow false teachers into our homes instead of going to extend the church place into the workplace and into the household? Second John, for many deceivers have, come, have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. I'm thinking specifically in today's day and age of people like from the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, and the Jehovah's Witnesses. In this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. The dome of the rock, 
That's the building that's on the Temple Mount. There's an inscription around that dome that says, God neither begets nor is he begotten. It's a smack in the face of John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world, for he gave his only begotten Son. He is well more than a teacher. He is well more than just a Son of God. He's the only begotten. He's the only perfect sacrifice. And so we read, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive them into your house or give them any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. King James says, Neither bid him God speak. Good habits make for bad greetings. In other words, when I see you in the morning, what do I say? Good morning, okay? When I say, when, I say, uh, when you leave, I'm not going to see you later, it doesn't count. It's goodbye, or have a nice day, or a great day. Good habits could lead to bad greetings in this case. What do you tell somebody who comes to your door and you notice the button, dot, dot, dot? Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way. Get out of here, you charlatan. You give them a quick testimony, and then they'll leave. But it's not goodbye or have a nice day. It's not, don't let the door hit your back end on the way out either. Because you never let them in in the first place. And Judy already came to the, the last point. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that's in you. Now, do those people send rookies to come and knock at your door? That's exactly right, but the rookie's not saying anything. The rookie's just watching. And when I have something to say, short and in love, it's really not to the master. It's to the rookie. Be prepared to make an answer. And it's going to be a short one because the master's going to try to cut you off just like you, in love, cut him off. Jesus said, I believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Okay, we're going to go a little bit more. Here's the O Timothy, and we're going to end on this slide. Actually, the next one. Oh, Timothy, verses 11, O man of God. My mother would say, Oh, John. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. It's a guarantee. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. And then he says, Grace be with you. And that you in the Greek is plural. So grace be with, if you're from the South, grace be with you all. And there's a radio ministry, John MacArthur, that takes from that verse, grace to you. And we'll end with one of Jim Kreider's favorite verses. Guard your heart, for everything flows from it. Of course, 